We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What up, what up, what up? Welcome into another edition of Green with Envy. As always, this is your boy, Will Weir, checking in. How you doing? How you living? Joining me today from across the pond, it is my podcasting cousin. He is the leader of the Taylor gang. It's the one and only Adam Taylor. How you doing today, Adam? Yo, what's popping, man? I'm going to be honest. I know I was on here with you and Seth Partner the other day, but it feels like a while since we've just chopped it up, right? It's dude, it's funny, man. That same thought as I was going through the intro went through my head is like, man, it's been a minute. I, and obviously we did that that interview with Seth, like you said. But as far as just the two of us coming on here to to chop it up, it's it's been a minute, man. Yeah, how's your summer going, dude? I mean, this is the off season. This is kind of what we're gonna talk about throughout most of this podcast today is how to kill time in the off season. But how how is the off season going for you right now, Adam? Busy as shit, dude. I'm not even gonna lie. Like, um, there's always some something to cover obviously i'm working with usa today so i'm hitting stuff for other teams as well during um still trying to focus on the celtics but let's be honest there's not really much i can hone in on right now i remember messaging bill Sai from celtics blog like dude i don't bill remember Sai, the celtics guy the celtics guy did i was like i don't remember being this like feeling this disassociated from the team in the entire time i've been covering the team like yeah. It's just dead out here. There's no news. Any news you get is kind of non-news. Like, oh, the Brad Stevens goes on. What was he on? Toucher and Rich. He was on. Uh, he was on. It was, it was for the the Jimmy Fun Marathon the other day. He was. I, I forget if it was on Toucher. It wasn't Toucher and Rich, but it was WEEI, whatever, whatever yeah, show some, he was on. Somewhere, something. And it's the same stuff. It's a. It's an update about a non-update. Chris Stapp's feeling good. He's gonna, you know, be back. Yeah, we knew this. It's like, I mean, this is why we got so excited. What a, a week and a half ago when we were heard. Oh my God, they're gonna work out TJ Warren. That was that is like that was real news for us to actually come on here and, and talk about. But that's and that was you know we we got twenty minutes out of it. <laughs> this <laughs> is what I'm after, saying, right? Nothing, nothing still, game of it though, right? <laughs> or at least I haven't on yet. socials. I haven't really been there. There's like nothing's popping, dude. It's just you know it is what it is right now. But for somehow I'm still filling ten hours of work a day, and I just don't know how it's happening. How are you doing on your summer, man? I mean, I'm good, man. I mean, it's I'm out here in Texas right now. We got a massive heat wave that's been going on all summer. I think it's starting to to get people, you know, uh, a little loopy at, at this point. So I'm I'm ready for some 
some colder weather and i'm ready for just like some, like you said just just some more news man i mean that's part of you know right now at least you know, I've been waking up and trying to at, at different times try to catch a little bit of the FIBA World Cup because that's the closest thing to any real basketball. Now, there's no Celtics involved. Obviously, when Chris Stapps went down in it, and you know, Latvia is making a little bit of a run right now. They actually played pretty tough against Canada the other day. They're going to be moving on to the um, to the quarterfinal round. So, you know, Latvia is making some noise, but Chris Stapps is there, but he's not playing. There's no other Celtics that are playing, but there are like a lot of ex-Celtics that you're seeing out there right you got kelly olenic out there making some noise uh you've got dennis schroeder and daniel tice in germany so there are some other celtics to kind of keep an eye on but you know i'm kind of thankful for the world cup because without that it is a really really dull part at least in the states here adam we do have football about to kick off which i'm sure a lot of our listeners uh, are getting ready for to watch the patriots that's going to start about a week from sunday so that will give you know at least those in boston that are you know into the nfl which is a large portion probably of our audience with that crossover you know that will give them something but it's it's been tough these last couple of weeks if it weren't for the world cup yeah i mean i've had the wrestling to watch and stuff like you know i'm big big into that but like in terms of, I'm very career-driven, very work-driven in, in a way where I'm like, what can I do today to get some reach, to put the name out there, to put mm-hmm. the show out what, there? What's, what's that out? 1% better you can do from the day before? Exactly. What's the one thing and more? Yeah. At the moment, I'm like, dude, there's a 0% <laughs> I can do. I want to ask you, though, you just mentioned the World Cup. We can get into today's topics in a moment, but this has been yeah. a debate for a few days. I've taken a very strong stance, and I've gone backwards and forwards with multiple people I've had to mute my notifications because of it. <laughs> I can't remember who said it. You'll know the guy. Uh, Noah Lyles. Who See, was, so you uh, know where uh, I'm going with I know this. exactly where you're going. I actually meant to put, I was going to surprise surprise you with this in the rundown. I didn't put it in our rundown today, but yeah, it was Noah Lyles who is a uh, USA track star, I believe, that, that okay. made the comment you're about to allude to. So, in your opinion, does winning the... And it's fine if we disagree. Obviously, we, that's the beauty of this stuff. In your opinion, does winning the NBA qualify you to be called the world champion? So I'll say this. I don't necessarily have a strong take on it either way. NBA players apparently had a very strong visceral reaction to this because almost universally they came out against Noah Lyles. Now, here's kind of my take on it is if you're just looking word for word, like, you know, without applying certain context to it, of course he's right, right? It's it's the world. The world championships mean you should be playing. Everybody in the world has a chance to win this championship, and you are playing against you know um, people and teams from other countries. So in that sense, like I, this is why I, I don't really care too much because I'm like, okay, I, I see what he's saying, and I don't think that's wrong. But I do see the other side of it where it's just different with you know, track and field than it is versus something like the NBA. Like the NBA does host all of the top players in the world, which is what, you know, we're going to talk about the FIBA World Cup here in a minute. This is part of what makes FIBA World Cup so cool is because you do see that when you take three, four, five NBA players, even if they're not, you know, the top, top guys, and you give them continuity with guys that are high-level basketball players that they've played with for a while, they're going to be competitive. They're going to, you know, we saw a couple years ago, Team USA finished seventh in the FIBA World Cup. They're going to be able to beat the USA at this point if they're not sending the Jason Tatums, Kevin Durant, Devin Bookers of the world. Like, it's going to be competitive. USA's 3-0 and right now in the current FIBA World Cup. But because all of those players do then 
matriculate to the NBA, and that's where all of the top guys do compete. Like in that sense, listen, that's where the top talent is. Like they're like as, as good as some of these other leagues have become around the world, whether it's the Spanish league where you know Luka Doncic came from, or the French league where where Victor Webmanyama came from, and others that are you know in that second tier, third tier. They're not beating NBA teams like those those teams. You know what I mean? Like like Victor Wembanyama's team was barely beating and and he lost to the the G League Ignite, right? And they and they I forget if they won the championship or they or they lost in the championship of the French League, but that was one of the best teams, right? And they 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 were right there with the G League Ignite team, which is not beating NBA teams. Maybe they'll get a game or two, but they're not winning a championship or a world championship. So in the context of where do all the world's best players compete i can see the argument that yeah so in the nba you can call yourself a world champion because the world's best talent is in this league and in this league only it's not spread out like it is in soccer in in multiple different leagues so that's kind of my take is where i i'm relatively indifferent i can see both sides of it depending on how much you want to include certain layers of context but i i did think that it was funny and i i saw you uh i, I know that you had uh the opinion that you yeah, had no think- alliance side yeah, I think that, you know, I know one of the things I noticed was the argument was heavily predicated on US fans sided with like US players, like, hey, no, we have the best players, there's international players here. Whereas European fans, and I do think this is heavily influenced by the presence of soccer and the way soccer's built in terms of world champions or a World Cup winner. So I did see the disconnect there, and I did understand that some of that's through different structures within how the sport is played like Mm -hmm. to be to be fair but my outlook on it is nine times out of ten 99.5 percent of the time an nba team is going to beat any team in europe right yeah but for me to if you want to be a world champion you need to conquer different styles of play from around the world Right, Spanish like Euro League basketball is completely different. There's a completely the rule sets are different. There's more defensive owners. You can stay in the paint. You can do all these other Tip the ball off the off the rim. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you see this in FIBA, right? There's a reason that you know Patty Mills, Dennis Schroeder, guys like Evan Fournier, they're you know middling to kind of you know questionable rotation guys in the NBA, and they come on FIBA and they got flames out their ass right like, yeah, because like these a lot dudes, of these, these dudes are cooking playing, they're killing <laughs> a lot of these guys grew up playing in that rule set the nba rule set is foreign to them now they're coming back to what they know and they're playing a little bit more freely but for me if you want to be called a world champion i'm not like there's two ways to do this right you win the world cup you're a world champion that's a national level if you want to be a world champion at team level at club level depending on how you want to define each team you, there needs to be like a world championship series where it's like the winner of the Spanish league, the winner of the French. Like you take your five to six best leagues and you just do a small tournament and the winner of that is well, your world this champion. Is, this is my question. Like, do does the should the NBA with this new in season tournament, which we haven't really talked too much about, and I and I, I'm gonna be interested to see how it plays out in in year one. But is this an opportunity for the NBA to to make something like that happen? You know, I mean, obviously, it's you're doing it with the mixture of your regular season. So you got to kind of figure out how that works. But, like, I think that's the only real way to do it. Because you're not going to get these guys to come together, you know, after the season. But I do think there is a world in which 
you know, let's just say Real Madrid, right? That which I believe was was the team Luka Doncic played for. Before it was, yeah. He was drafted. So let's just take a team like that. It's a high level team. Obviously, a lot of people will be familiar with them from from uh from from soccer or from 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 football. But like, let's take a team like that. That's super high level. They've been together for the most part, and they're going to have top tier talent. I think Nikola Mirotic was also on that team. At, at, at he was in Barcelona. Point. But he was in Barcelona. But still, my, my point being, those teams are going to have a handful of guys that you might recognize from college ball or, or play in the NBA at some point. But they're going to have a lot of continuity. You know, they're going to have. Sometimes compared to, I mean, we see a lot of these super teams put together. That's their biggest flaw, right? They don't know how to play with each other where a lot of these teams in Europe are going to have a little bit more continuity. So it is interesting to see where does water find its level between talent, continuity, and then depending on which rule set you're playing on. Right. And that's an interesting experiment. I think, like you said, more than likely because the talent's going to be so heavy towards the NBA side, which is going to include a lot of top-tier foreign guys if we just left it as their NBA teams versus the Spanish League teams or the French League teams. It's it's 99.5% of the time going to go in favor of the NBA team. But that's kind of the answer to me is like if, if you're going to try to really make this, you know, soccer-style tournament, like, Let's 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 get weird all the way with it, and let's let's start yeah. bringing in some of these foreign teams. Why I mean, not? I'm just not? big on like, hey, if you call yourself a world champion, you need to beat teams from around the world. It's all well and like, and you know, you, uh, Greg Popovich. There's a quote floating around. Yeah, on he had a couple of years ago. Yeah, so and he like, was like, yeah, we're playing a national league, including Canada. Okay, so we're playing a North American league. Uh, Even then, Canada gets one representative. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're playing the North American League. We don't have a Mexico City team. There's no, you know, there's not even not even a Mexico team that we have to represent. Exactly. So. And then, like, you know, you're telling me that Real Madrid couldn't come in and beat the Detroit Pistons as currently constructed. Well, so that's where I think it gets interesting, right? Is some of those bottom five, six, seven teams that are typically young guys, inexperienced guys. You know, maybe there's a lack of continuity because you know you you look at you mentioned the Pistons like most of their their core is going to be three years in the league or less, right? So they really haven't had that much time to gel, even just just based on their age. And so I think that's interesting, but I don't know how you because that that's what I think would really be a fun you know experiment is kind of you take the bottom eight teams in the NBA and you take the top eight teams in the Spanish league and the French league and the Australian league or whatever. And you find a way to make that into a tournament. I don't know. I have no idea how the hell you do that. That's even so much more complicated than what we were suggesting. But I think that would be more interesting than, you know, a team like the Celtics that has two all NBA guys. And, you know, we just went through it with Seth Parton now the other day has, you know, seven of the top 125 players in the league like that's that's not gonna the, number one they're probably not gonna care and number two if they do care i don't think it's gonna be very close so i don't think that's nearly as fun but i do think those bottom tier with that top tier i think that could be an interesting experiment yeah it's just a thought for, for exercise and i understand that's like the argument itself that i got quite heated because i'm like everyone's like no you're not listening i'm like i am but what i'm saying <laughs> is like so it did get heated, but it was prime off-season content. I thought that's—I that, uh, mean, that's that's what we're here for right now. That, this, yeah, this is the news that we have, and so let, let's take a quick break and let's keep talking about FIBA here because we want to we want to bring this into a topic that we did have planned today. So we'll, we'll bring this back here one second. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, Adam. So, you know, we're, we're talking about the FIBA World Cup, and that's, that's the only actual basketball we have going on. And, you know, USA just took down Jordan this morning as we're recording this here on a, on a Wednesday, 110 to 62. They wrap up their uh, group play 3-0, and uh, take down lefty Kobe, a.k.a. Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. Did you remember Rondé Hollis-Jefferson before he's become kind of an internet, I don't want to say sensation, but certainly in, a, you know, in an NBA X or NBA Twitter, you know, he's, he's definitely been popping around this last week or so with, you know, looking a lot like Kobe out there. And it, it is kind of... Uh, it is kind of funny how much he looks like him. I and mean, he had a great tournament, Jordan's 0-3, but he had a great individual tournament. Do you remember much of him from his NBA days? I mean, the name rings a bell. Like, yeah. it, it's not somebody that I was like, yeah, RHJ's playing. Like, I got a tune <laughs> yeah, 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 Do you yeah, know yeah. what I mean? Like, it was never like that. But it wasn't a name where I was like, who? Yeah, it wasn't exactly. I, I, knew, I knew who he was, but it's yeah. not somebody like I don't recall ever being like, man, he balled out in this game. Yeah, you he know, was always I mean, a guy that I, I I, I kind of liked his game. He went to Arizona, so I remembered him a little bit in college. And, uh, you know, he just had good length, kind of a good, not necessarily a 3 and D, because he had kind of a funky shot, but always one of those guys that felt like he would, would find a way to contribute. I was surprised that he wasn't able to hang around the NBA longer. We'll see what happens after this run. He had a, he had a nice run in this. But, you know, what we wanted to talk about today is, you know, we're going to take a little stroll into enemy territory to a certain degree. So, you know, with, with Team USA, one of the big stories has been the play of Austin Reeves. Austin Reeves, you know, obviously broke out this past season in the postseason and was super impressive. That vaulted him into a spot here on this FIBA World Cup team. And it seems to be full steam ahead. It feels like when it's him and Halliburton combined with Anthony Edwards, that's kind of a trio that the USA has relied on so far in the tournament uh, to be difference makers. You know, and, and a lot and some of them, including Halliburton and Reeves, are actually coming off the bench to make that impact. But Austin Reeves has been really impressive. And so Adam and I were chatting about what we're going to talk about today. And it's hard to make us think about, you know, and this is what you do in the offseason. What if scenarios? So Austin Reeves was drafted in 2021. And when I say drafted, that was the draft class. He was undrafted. So he actually was never drafted in that particular draft. The Celtics actually had pick 45, which they used on Juan Bangaran. And then actually the pick right after that is current Celtic, Delano Banton. So there's a lot of connections in that draft for the Celtics. Adam, th think back. What do you remember 
if anything, about Austin Reeves in that 2021 draft. You know, we were scouting kind of the mid to late second because that's where the Celtics were picking at the time. You know, was that a name that you remember seeing pop around as not a potential? Or, yeah, tell me. Not at all. Like, I'm not really a big draft guy anyway because college ball is so difficult to watch out here. But obviously you read up, you do. I remember there was a Chris Grenham report that the Celtics had him, took him into a workout and they worked him out really close to the draft. I think one of the important things to remember as well is that we found out since, that we found out recently when Reeves went on to all the smoke was that the Detroit Pistons wanted to select him at 42 and Austin Reeves was like, no, I don't want to play for you. And I think that had a huge impact as well on him not going to a team like Boston at 45 because he'd just turned down an opportunity at 42 to go to a team where he could have got legitimate minutes on a rebuilding roster. So I don't remember much, but I do know that what I read about him at the time was he was talented, but in a way that not everybody was confident would translate to an NBA game. So... It's funny. I, I was thinking about this the, uh, the other night, and I don't know if it was on uh, the old, like an old Green with Envy episode or back when we were doing um, Split in Time with Celtics blog. And uh, remember Coach Spins? I think he, he was writing for Celtics yeah, blog at yeah, the time. Yeah. I don't know if he still is or not. I don't think he still is. Yeah, he does. Episode. Um, just to give him a shout out, he does a really dope draft focused newsletter. Yeah, called, so I, called the Box and One. Okay, that's what it is. And and I remember we had him on. We were doing like some draft day coverage, you know, live stream. And I remember he was on and he mentioned Austin Reeves as a guy that he was interested in for the Celtics. And the reason it stuck out to me is when you get that deep in the draft, I'm like you. I, I mean, I can talk to you. You know, I, I don't watch as much college basketball as I used to, but I'll keep up with some of the top guys as we start to get towards March Madness, the tournament. And so, you know, the top 15 to 20 guys, and then depending on where the Celtics pick is, I can talk to you about certain guys, you know, that, that are in the top of the draft and then wherever the Celtics are picking. And with, with Austin Reeves, though, he initially went to Wichita State, then transferred to Oklahoma. And so that's in the Big 12. I live in Austin, Texas, University of Texas in Oklahoma. It's a big-time rivalry. And so I, I don't think it was COVID year. So I don't think I was at the game, but I think I was at home watching the game on TV. And Austin Reeves just stood out in that game. And so to the point that you just made a minute ago, he gave me like Hooper vibes, like in the sense that if you were at the local Lifetime Fitness or at the park, I don't know what this guy is specifically good at when I watched that game, but I know that his team was going to be successful. He was going to find a way, somehow, some way, whether it was him scoring the ball, it was him distributing the basketball, it was him getting in the in the lane and making the hockey assist so that it sets up everything else for your team. It just felt like that guy had a very positive energy to him on the basketball court. And that stood with me. I was like, okay, I don't know what this guy is, but he's something. There, there, there's something, you know how you just, you, sometimes you can't always, you know, pinpoint it the first time you watch a guy be like this there's something to this guy don't know what it is but it's very clear that he was in control of a game that had you know multiple athletes who were you know looked at as higher prospects than him he was the one that kind of stood out as the one that set the the pace of the game and was in control of the game and so i thought it was interesting i certainly never ever thought we'd be where we are now that he is you know basically the you know if you're looking at big threes around the league Anthony Davis, LeBron James, and Austin Reeves has to be considered a pretty, a pretty damn good big three, and that that's really what he would be at this point, and only entering his third year in the league. So then you got to ask yourself this, and then like I'm writing about this at the moment for Celtics blog. Sorry, uh, you, the the question I'm asking is for myself: if the say the Celtics drafted him at 45, mm -hmm. given him, given how much talent was there, 
in that guard rotation, given how much talent's in that guard rotation now, does he still become the Austin Reeves that we're seeing right now? Or does his development get like literally glass ceilings? Because the Celtics have a very poor record outside of Sam Hauser of developing talent in the G League to move up and take a spot in the starting lineup. Because I don't think there was a world where Reeves comes in at 45 and gets a position in the start, like in the primary rotation from jump. Yeah, I mean, the, the, it was probably too crowded, right? Because, you know, at that time to get into that backcourt, well, I mean, I guess actually it, it it's tough, right? Because like you said, there's not a great record of, of the Celtics being able to turn those two-way guys other than Sam Hauser to this point into something. But, that, but Sam Hauser was something that they really kind of narrowed it on. It's like, we need this. We need that three-point shoot. I've been begging for a three-point specialist for this team for, you know, for several years. And so they were able to finally kind of zone in or lock in on, on that type of guy. But if you look at the backcourt for the Celtics at that time, you know, I'm trying to think right now, you know, obviously that would have been 2021. So that would have been what smart Schroeder, who else really Jalen Brown, obviously considering him in the backcourt. I mean, it, it, you could say there's a role at the end of the bench, but for him to actually crack real playing time, I think that would have been really tough. And, you know, that was also Ime Odoka's first year as a, as a coach. Yeah. So so it, it, it's really tough for him to say he's going to, like, put Pritchard his hat on. was already there as well. Pritchard was he... already there as well. That's right. So it's hard to say that, you know, all of a sudden Ime is going to say, hey, listen, first year as a coach, I'm, I'm going to take this undrafted two-way guy, and he's getting minutes in my rotation. Like, that's really tough. When you were the Lakers in that situation where your team was trash and you were and falling all over yourself. Like that was the biggest problem. Sorry to cut you. That was the biggest no, no, problem right. for the Lakers. They were old and mm-hmm. they needed an influx of young guys. They were guys. desperate for, for an influx of, of some type of youth that they could help uh, and cheap youth that they could help them propel. And then, I mean, obviously they struck gold. I don't think they ever expected what they're getting from Austin Reeves or what he developed into last season. And now it'll be interesting to see what happens because this upcoming year, there is going to be expectations. The guy's out here dating Taylor Swift, and he's in L.A. You don't think there's going to be a fucking spotlight on that? Like, this is going to be a massive <laughs> Is he actually spotlight. dating Taylor Swift? I don't know. I saw, the, did you see the clip that was going around the other day where it was, People he, were was asking. Some, he was at some event, he was asked if he was single, he said no, and I, I guess, I think he's been linked to Taylor Swift, but that's that L.A. shit, right? That's L.A. vibe. That's L- Austin Reeves, LeBron James, Taylor Swift go to dinner. Like, that's, that's you know what I'm saying? Like, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out, but, you know, the the rise that he has had in a very quick span, it's, it's just super impressive, so it's hard not to ask yourself the question of, what if, but then again, every team in the league, because he went undrafted, every single team in the league could have this conversation that, that you and I are having right now. Yeah, and I mean, you've got to credit his, like, he turned down opportunities to enter the league via the draft. Like, second round is, it's a crapshoot because yeah. you're not getting a guaranteed deal. You're most likely going to a, you know, to a G League team for the first year. You're going to be majority down in the G League, and you've got to claw and fight your way up into an NBA roster spot. He saw an opportunity in Los Angeles. Uh, I don't know if you've watched this episode of All the Smoke, but he knew there was an opportunity to be straight in their main roster in that rotation. He knew that. He knew he'd have a better chance going undrafted and signing a rookie-scale deal there. Well, that's the thing, right? I mean, once you get to a certain point 
in the draft. And, and you know, 42 is, I think, probably somewhere around the, the time where this starts to make sense. Like, why not control your own destiny a little bit, yeah. right? Because like you said, like, it, it, the the pay, if you end up making a roster, it's not guaranteed in the second round. And, like, it's, it, it's not going to be that big of a gap. And now you can kind of see what's a better fit for me, not just this team saying, yeah, let's try it out and, and see what happens. But now you can at least say, all right, I might have two or three options to come in as an undrafted guy, play in summer league, make their, you know, training camp, and then be able to make at least a two-way spot. So you give yourself, and, and this is where, you know, I've heard him talk about it before, where he he was already thinking, man, I think my IQ really matches with LeBron's IQ, which by the way, that's some fucking confidence to to come in as a ridiculous confidence. <laughs> as a 21, 22 year old, like, hey, you know who I think my game really meshes well that would enjoy playing with me? Oh, maybe just LeBron James. Yeah, the best you know? player in the pl- on the planet. One of the best players in history, depending on whether you subscribe to Bron or Jordan. Yeah. I'm just going to be like, hey, Bron, me and you, we're, we're him. I, we're hey, he. IQ buddies? Wouldn't yeah, be yeah. IQ buddies? Yeah, let's let's do it. And, it's and not even like we're him. We're he. We're, yeah. we're, we're, <laughs> we're he's. I mean, it's, 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 it's worked out. So it's a super big credit to, to Austin Reeves, but this is where I think, you know, it's so fascinating to me, the world of drafting prospects and scouting. It's so hard. That is such a a hard game, which is why I think when you see a lot of these mega trades and so much of it's based around draft picks, it's, yeah, that's great. You're going to have more cracks at it, but you better get that shit right, man. And and that's why when you see Nikola Jokic going in the forties, you see Austin Reeves going undrafted and you know it's it's easier at the top but you know ask the kings who it took them until this year to get out they what almost didn't make the playoffs for 20 years and they picked a whole bunch of times in the top 10 <laughs> you the know way I, say, I always say this you can sell somebody on the dream far easier than you can sell somebody on the reality so it's always easier to get I like that to, to put picks in a deal to make it seem sweeter than it would be to put an actual player in because the dream's still there. We could find this guy. This guy could be at the the franchise guy in five years. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're like, here's Aaron Neesmith, you know, a former lottery pick from two, three years ago, everyone's like, yeah, but no. That, yeah. That's not enough. First exactly. round draft pick unprotected. Don't know where it's going to land yet. Don't know who's going to be a star of that draft card. Yeah, that's perfect. Give me 10 of those. Like yeah. 50 and years then, down the line, and we're good. And this is where Danny Ainge deserves a lot of credit, you know, retroactively, is, you know, he nailed the Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum picks. Those were all great picks. Nailed them. Nailed, nailed them. them. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, especially, obviously, I think Jason Tatum, Tatum and Brown stand out the most. Brown, because it wasn't a lock that he was the guy to go at number three. So that was a bit of a gamble. And then obviously, Tatum, you traded down from one to three. Yeah. To go to go get him, and then and, he got uh, the role players. He went and got Grant, who turned into a really good. That's what role I'm saying. He, he, even like, even Grant Pritchard, like I we we all like Pritchard. The NBA likes Pritchard. You know, Stevens was talking high about Pritchard the other day from that that radio spot that we were talking about. So, you know, like you know, I think Danny Ainge because he missed on you know Gabe Pruitt or like Rand. The, the, like I, I never understood the Celtic fan rhetoric that Danny Ainge couldn't draft because he got the biggest ones right. And then he also found some guys at the back end of the draft when it's a total crapshoot. Yeah. So it's, you know what I mean? So it, I, I just think that that part of the NBA and like forming a team, building a team, it's so difficult to do. And you've seen so far, Brad Stevens has kind of said, yeah, I don't, I'm good on that, man. <laughs> I'm going to find other ways to build this team. I don't need that criticism. 
Yeah, and Brad Stevens is like, who needs draft picks? Like, uh, <laughs> he's like, you know how hard it was for me when Danny just kept drafting guys, didn't have a clue who they were. I'm just gonna trade every one of them. Yeah, I'm just gonna trade everybody and get known, get known commodities in here, yeah. and then we'll uh, we'll figure it out. But um, let, let's use that to actually transition a little bit because the next thing that we want to talk about was a clip that came out from JJ Reddick's podcast, Old Man and Three. Uh, I don't know if this, uh, as we're recording, I believe this episode is either dropping today or tomorrow, featuring uh, Rajon Rondo, you know, obviously Celtic legend, Celtic favorite. Um, and it's a really interesting clip, which we're going to play here in just a second. So actually, let's go ahead and cue that up right now. Let's let's play this, and then we'll we'll come back and we'll uh, we'll talk about it. So with me, when I'm playing the game, I'm not necessarily playing against the player. Uh, a, a great example is when I was going against the, the Celtics when I played for the Bulls. My whole mindset that entire series was to beat Brad Stevens. A quick story. I know I'm jumping around, but um, I think it was, I think it was game one. It was like a shoot around in the ballroom. We stayed in the hotel. We were at the Four Seasons, and I asked Jimmy and D Wade to stay back. And I was working on fourth quarter execution plays that we could run in the fourth that Brad hadn't seen us play yet. So when we did run those plays, they weren't they weren't able to make those counters or adjustments. And for me, I was watching a lot of, I think I watched maybe like four or five of his games to where his fourth quarter plays, they were calling sets that they ran for Isaiah Horford in that, in that particular series to get ahead of the curve. Because I'm thinking, my mindset is thinking, how can I beat the coach? How can I outcoach the coach? I feel like I have the power and I'm involved in the game. So I have more of an influence and an impact that I can make versus a coach yelling from the sidelines, trying to communicate to his players what they need to do. But me as a player on the court, I'm able to make those adjustments and uh, you know, be ahead of the curve. But to be honest with you, that's that's one of the best answers that I've ever gotten on the, on that question. Now looking back, you really are you really are a cocksucker because <laughs> that's essentially <laughs> what you were doing. I'm like getting these I'm getting these memories of the the 2009 2010 playoffs and looking over at you whether it was a free throw, a dead ball, whatever, and you just be like staring at Stan. I'm never going against the players i'm looking at the coach and what he's saying everything because everything obviously he's saying that you guys are going to do and implement so what he wants to do in practice so if i can get ahead of those those answers to the test earlier i'll ace the test and this crazy thing we were in a bubble this goes back to the bubble me and brown were in the bubble watching the game i think it was it was miami and boston again and uh, we were sitting in the room watching the game and like i said it went down to the wire so brown's like if we if we get miami i got spo and if we get boston you got Brad. so that was kind of our mindset it's like it wasn't like, oh, we're going to beat the Heat or we're going to beat the Celtics. It was more so if we can out-coach or, you know, if we can out-coach or out-play the coaches on that staff in particular, which two guys we felt that we knew pretty good, we were going to win. So another guy, Adam, that fits into our Austin Reeves conversation of on the same IQ level <laughs> as, as LeBron James, <laughs> Rondo, Reeves, and LeBron, of course, the big three. But no, I, I think this is is such a fascinating club. But I'm I'm very excited for this full pod drop. Might not be out by the time you're listening to this um, right now. But you know, l- l- let's start here talking about this clip. I want to go back to because as we were we're queuing this up to be part of the podcast today, I went back and I looked at that that Bull Celtic series that Rondo mentions at the at the very beginning. And I'm not sure if you remember this, but. That, I mean that this is this is the IT run, right? This is the IT team yeah. that that makes the run to the conference finals. Has the tragedy with his sister, the fifty-one, the you know fifty-plus point game he had against the the Wizards and all that. And the Celtics probably weren't making it out of that first round if Rondo doesn't get hurt in the first in, in, yeah, in, in that first series. They were up two. The Bulls were up two zero as an eight seed, 
And all I can remember, I didn't go, I, I went back and looked at the boxers. I didn't go back and watch the games, but I still remember vividly like, holy shit. And this is the time when it felt like Rondo's career was dwindling, right? Like Rondo is like, man, he's been on seven teams at this point since he left the Celtics. Like still love Rondo, but I, I and I don't know what his career is going to end ultimately look like. And in those first two games, you know, his stat lines weren't the 21 points, 17 rebounds, 19 assists that we saw, you know, in some of his, you know, prime Celtic days, but he was 12, nine and seven, whatever. But I just remember he controlled so much of those games. And now you hear him talking about how he was trying to outcoach the coach. And I'm like, damn, that, that kind of is what felt like was happening in that particular series. And then once he goes out, Celtics come back, end up winning the series four, two after being down two Oh, but if Rondo's in that series, it's a it's a huge ripple effect, more than you would think across the NBA. Yeah, I mean, Rondo was the floor general during that series. And, you know, everyone knew playoff Rondo was a real thing. I remember vividly just my being on socials the day after the first two games and everybody just being like, man, Rondo's con- like destroying us. We need like Rondo is the reason we're down to oh Rondo gets injured, the news breaks, everyone's like the series is over. The Celtics gonna win in they're gonna sweep them now four two. Next four games are for Boston by sweep. I mean four straight wins, obviously not four zip. Uh and it was clear, it was clear that Rondo was the guy that was the glue. He he's a high IQ guy, high like facilitation guy in terms of, I don't know why I said high facilitation, like that's actually <laughs> a genuine term. You know what I mean? He he controlled the game, controlled the pace, but not only that. He's the one that calls the sets because he's the one that brings the ball down the floor. And Brad wasn't as what's the right word to use? He wasn't as hmm. He didn't have the experience of coaching in the playoffs that he did towards the latter years. So he didn't mm-hmm. understand how to shut down a guy like that quicker, how to scheme him out of a game. Brad was still learning at the time as well. I've just broke something somewhere. Um <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, it, the other part was that I mean that that team just wasn't wasn't that talented, right? Like, no, like, of course we love not. that team. I mean, I was looking at they some have of no their. Business being there. Yeah, I mean, the starting lineup is you know I'll, I'll just read through it here. It's, it's Isaiah Thomas and Avery Bradley in the backcourt. Love my guy Avery. I was a huge Avery Bradley fan. Uh, we got Jay Crowder, Al Horford, and Amir Johnson. Like that was the majority of the starting lineup. Now, of course, Marcus Smart, Kelly Olynyk coming off the bench. This is Jalen Brown's rookie year. Gerald Green at a certain point gets inserted into the starting lineup as well. So, but but even still, like that's just, that's just not that's not a conference final team. You don't read nah. those names and go, oh yeah, that was the that was the one seed. <laughs> I will say this though, Amir Johnson controlled the glass like a monster for that entire run, dude. Like it obviously is the the hero of that run, but Amir Johnson was a really big part defensively. Avery Bradley gave you the great point of attack defense. Marcus Smart clearly, it was a good team. It wasn't a conference finals team, and to be honest with you, I don't think anyone would have been too shocked had Rondo stayed healthy if the Bulls had gone on and won that series. I don't think it would have been a huge like uh, well, well here's here's the ripple effect, the biggest ripple effect from the series if Rondo stays healthy. If the eight-seeded Bulls, who had Jimmy Butler, Dwayne Wade on his last legs, really the last time we ever saw Dwayne even close to anything that resembles Dwayne Wade, and you think about it, if the Bulls win that series, do the Bulls then become more likely 
to hang on to Jimmy Butler? Do they pay Jimmy Butler instead of trading him? Because this is this was Jimmy Butler's last appearance as a Chicago Bull. That that offseason at the you know at the draft, he gets traded to Minnesota. To Minnesota. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, to Minnesota. So, you know, and part of their reluctance was they weren't sure if Jimmy Butler was the true number one. Now, obviously, we've seen that, that that's been a mistake and the Celtics have firsthand witnessed Jimmy Butler be be that dude, be him, be Hemi Butler. And so you wonder what happens, right? This is this is another part of, of us kind of like wondering what would have happened if the Celtics maybe took a, a you know took a chance on Austin Reeves. What happens here? Because the Celtics also, and this is another thing that's come up, is the Celtics had opportunities to trade for Jimmy Butler, but they would have had to give up Jalen Brown and what eventually became probably the Jason Tatum pick, you know, and so they didn't. But like I wonder if Jimmy Butler had beat the Celtics, does does Danny Ainge feel differently? Like, shit, man, that guy just beat us. Like, why not go give them Jalen Brown, who we don't know at this time? Remember, you gotta like think from the from the moment of when this is actually happening. We didn't know Jalen Brown was gonna be Jalen Brown highest paid player in NBA history. Like that's that would have you would have been taking crazy pills if you had said that after after year one. Could he have still been a good player? Of course. But we didn't we had no idea what Jalen Brown was going to become. <clears throat> Excuse me. We didn't know where that pick was. And we just talked about it's a crapshoot, right? Drafting is a crapshoot. You know, the Sixers took Mark Elfold. So they took Jason Tatum. They have Jason Tatum and Joel Embiid right now. Like th- there's so many different things that, that that could happen. So it wouldn't have been if Jimmy comes in and beats you, it's a lot easier to then say, you know what? I'll give you Jalen Brown and, and this, you know, a couple of our picks. We had a bevy of picks still give you some of these picks and you give me Jimmy Butler. And now I have Isaiah Thomas, Jimmy Butler, Jay Crowder, Al Horford, you know, whatever's left over, Marcus Smart, you know, and now you're looking at a team that's, you know, probably at least in that time, in that moment, is closer to competing for a championship than, you know, what you were going to have, it, it, you know, just, just holding on to your stuff. And it's a lot easier to justify if that guy just beat your team. Isn't this the same year that they flipped IT as well at the end? At the end, yeah. So, so yeah. this would have so been that, that option. Imagine, yeah. so you can argue that, hey, not only do we get do we trade for Jimmy Butler, but we still flip IT for I mean that's potential for Kyrie or for whatever. Kyrie. And now know, all of a sudden right. you've got Kyrie, Himmy, you've got Horford, Marcus Smart still there. It's a completely different makeup of the team, right. but the window's so much shorter that we're probably covering a rebuilding team again right now. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's, like, it's, it's, it's a complete crapshoot as to what, what would have happened after that. Isaiah's hip never gets as bad because he doesn't have to play through so much additional. Well, he's games. out. He's out in the first round in this scenario, so yep. he definitely doesn't doesn't gets have the surgery. That, has that hip injury. Well, the hip injury happened later in the postseason, didn't it? Or I guess it was. Or, I, did, I thought he was dealing with it from the All Star break, and then it. Kicked. It might have been. Yeah, or it doesn't get as bad. Is the is the point? Yeah. And that maybe yeah. it's you know it's corrected more, and then we just kind of lean into all right. IT's our guy. And now we've got IT who's tough as nails with Jimmy Butler, who's tough as nails. And we've got Jay Crowder. You know, there's there's so many different things that that could have happened. So it's one of those weird moments that doesn't seem influential, but actually could have been really influential in the way that we look at the NBA now, what, six, seven years later down the road. And there's no guarantee that Chicago made the deal to move backwards to pick up Tatum. They might go straight for faults. Yeah, uh, you know, what I mean, as you said, there's the butterfly effect's real, man. There's so many what ifs that happen, and so many doors that may not open, or you know, maybe was that the Lonzo Ball year as well? Or am I think getting confused? 
Um, I'd have to go back. It might that be. same year. Was in Lonzo Ball the same Lanzo year as Tatum? Yeah, yeah he the same went year third, year. right? So, yeah, so, it would be. You know, Lonzo yeah, could have ended up in Chicago on draft night. You just don't know. You never know. You never know. And so that leads us to to this this question. I'm curious to answer here before we take a, a quick break and get to our last segment. Uh, Rondo, you know, he, he talks a lot about playing against the coaches. Rondo as a head coach. Give me your take. Probably better than Joe Missoula. Um, <laughs> damn, damn. Joe's on his off day catching a stray. Yo, just, you know, I'm just shooting from the hip. Uh, I wouldn't say no. I think that one of the things I'm very big on is learning from some of the, the established coaches. I think the way MA did it, the way um, Chauncey Billups has done it, where you spend a few years under some really established veteran like coaches, like, you know, MA did it the best going under Greg. And then he was under, was he under Steve? He was on Steve Nash's team, Steve Nash's next team. Is that right? Or was it before or, Steve Nash went to Brooklyn? You're talking about email? Yeah. Uh, I can't, I'd have to look it up. I don't know. If that but it, you know, he was under some established coaches. Then he yeah. kind of took a step up to be like a lead assistant for a less established coach and then became a head coach, then fucked it up. And now he's getting a second chance. Chauncey yeah. Billings is the same. I'd like to see Rondo do that. Like take a job on a staff with an, like, you know, I think Rondo joining Spo's staff in Miami would be fantastic. Spend a few years under Spo, d- develop and then move on to a bigger role and then eventually become a head coach. Now, the question you've got to ask is, would you have him as future Celtics head coach? I, I mean, certainly, it, you know, if, if and when that ever becomes a potential option, a lot of fans would love to see that. Uh, I think Rondo with the media would be fascinating in a way that, you know, I think Missoula's robotic and still not sure he's a human. We'll find out this season. You know, like, I, I think Rondo... I think you get a little testy to be honest with the media. And I think it would, it would be, it, w- it would make for a lot of good clips. Uh, I think it'd be very interesting to see how that would play out. I, I, I mean, I would love to see it. I, I will say this on Joe Missoula's behalf. One thing that the off season has allowed me to do is become more hopeful and optimistic for year two, Joe Missoula. I do think only that, because you know, he's got new coaches around him that are going to keep him grounded. Well, he's got new coach. He just has, I, he's just set up better for success. Like I really do think, That's and fair. I was thinking, because I was thinking about this the other night is when we were doing our picks for, for the season, it was right after, you know, we were doing it right before the the opening game. And I think it was just me and Greg at the time. And I remember saying like, he, he stuck with it. Celtics going to the finals and, and playing the nuggets. And I pivoted to the bucks. I obviously ended up being the heat, but I pivoted to the bucks. And my reasoning was at some point, this, you know, losing your head coach the night before training camp, and then plus at that time, it was within like a, a week span. It was the Robert Williams news. It was Danilo Gallinari was out. So it was like within three weeks, there was all three, you know, thing bad thing, things come in threes, right? And so those three things all happen. And I just remember saying, it has to matter at some point. And then, of course, that goes straight out of my mind when, you know, we start 21 and four and you see Tatum playing at an MVP level for stretches of the season. Jalen Brown made second team all NBA. And you're like, man, this team has it. We can do it, even though it was, you know, frustrating up and down. And then you did see that eventually, hey, you know what did matter? Not having stability, not having the, you know, the offseason coordination and planning that, you know, that a guy who's 34 years old was the same. He, he, he should he should be on this podcast not coaching the celtics you know what i mean at 34 like that that guy should be like with us doing doing what we do not leading one of the greatest franchises in in u.s sports you know to to try to take them in a just in sports situation just in sports yeah like trying to lead them 
in, you know, and I get why he was like, Hey, I don't want to rock the boat. Let me just try to influence offense defense is there, but it's not, you know, it, it was just a really shitty situation. So I, I've gotten to the point where I'm totally on board with giving Joe a full second chance without trying to bring in bias of how I felt last season. Cause it really was unfair when you think about his scenario. And so to that, you know, I hope I wish him success, but if it's not, Rondo's a hell of an interesting choice. Rondo would be fascinating to come in. And, you know, I do think a lot of times it's it's point guards and role-playing point guards. And, you know, Rondo certainly has a really interesting perspective on the game because he was elite, you know, as far as multi-time all-star was, you know, uh, I believe might have made an all-NBA. to have to double-check if he made uh, an all-NBA team or two. And then he kind of became... A more role player. You saw who he was on the Lakers that won the championship in the bubble, you know, where he talked about him and Braun were scouting coaches. You know, that's a very different Rondo than the Rondo that was in the 2010 NBA finals. That was in the 2012 conference finals, dropping 40 plus points. And so he has a very unique perspective. And I think that would make him a, a really, really good and interesting coach, especially getting to hear this insight from him in this interview. Do you know what else I'd like to see? It's never going to happen, but it's something that I'd really, really enjoy. Is Paul Pierce giving a speech at a championship parade about the website where he can rent a girlfriend for a day? <laughs> Just on a duck boat with a big-ass fucking boombox and a speaker like and a microphone. Like This is, I don't know, Crystal, I met Crystal, I rented Crystal for the day. <laughs> this is the website. Like, go get Paul, yourself. Paul Pierce is the dude that it's like, uh, I know in, in, in Seinfeld, um, there's an episode where Kramer talks about, have you ever met a proctologist? Have you ever met a proctologist? Park yourself next to them because they've got the craziest stories. Nobody ever wants to admit what got stuck in their butt, right? So he's like saying the proctologist is always, Paul Pierce is, is the proctologist of the NBA. Who knows what stories Paul Pierce has? He's the guy that you want to smoke a joint with or have a drink with park yourself next to and just see what the hell comes out of his mouth that that that's who paul pierce is in nba circles he's got to be one of my favorite like just wild cards all right let's, let's take one more quick break here and then we got one more segment we want to wrap up with All right, so this is the last segment that we wanted to do here because, well, it's it's the off season and it's it's, it's what we do. So we're going to do this kind of rapid fire here. We're going to give you two things that we love about the off season, and then one thing that we hate about the off season. And Adam, let's go let's go love hate love so that way we end on a on on a positive note. So give me one thing that you do love about about the NBA off season. So the off season for me, and I'll, I'm going to do this in terms of Celtics moves, additions and non-additions and stuff. So I love the fact that they added some new coaching staff that have veteran voices that have NBA experience. That's one thing that I truly love and I'm excited for coming into the new season. So I, I kept mine a little bit more general, but certainly applies to the Celtics, but free agency and hot stove trade season. I I just love that shit, man. When, when you get the rumors going and when you get, you know, Shams versus Woj versus, you know, Chris Haynes poking his head in every now and then, you know, it, I, I think that stuff is, is fascinating because it comes so, so quickly, so hot and heavy. And then immediately you're kind of left with, what does this mean? How do I feel? And then there's always, I, I love that there's an instant reaction, like Marcus Smart, Chris Depps, Porzingis, like it hurts. I'm excited. You know, especially when you throw in 
there was another trade that was supposed to happen. Then it became this trade. And so it's this influx of emotions. It just makes for, for really great conversation. And so I think the more that with, with the off season, when you're left with this kind of theoretical debating, you, you can't have a wrong answer, right? Cause if someone wants to tell you, Hey, I don't think this was a good move because Marcus smart was the, you know, signature player on this team. He's our hustle. He's our identity. And now we're trading it for a seven foot guy that, you know, two years ago in Dallas, people were writing off and now he's injured again. Like, I don't think that's a great move. Or you're the other side where it's like, I love the talent. Look at this. We, we have so much more talent. We're so long. We can shoot the ball. We can defend the rim. You know, we can get what Marcus Smart, you know, he's, he's hitting the down. He's, he's on the downside of his career. You could see some slips and, you know, a, a few cracks in his game over the last year or two. Like, you know, this was the right time to sell. And, and, and you know what? Both of those might be right. We don't know. But I think you can make both of those arguments. And it makes, I, I think that that part of the offseason generates really genuine and great conversation because i think there's different ways to see it and you can both be right and you can both be wrong but you can all but you can always have like a really uh, a really nuanced conversation around it that's fair i think that you know we definitely saw that with the smart pausing good trade i think we see that with most trades but it you have to be in a fan base to really understand where both sides are coming from it's really easy for us to sit here and be like Hey, they Minnesota traded Jimmy Butler, and we think this is great for this, or it's not, mm -hmm. you know. Whereas the Timberwolves fans are probably like, "What the fuck?" Or thank, <laughs> or thank fuck, depending on which side of the fence they sit on, you know. So I like see, I like sitting back and watching how other fan bases react to tra trades more than being part of the fan base that's reacting to a trade. Does that yeah. make sense? Because I feel like you get a better grip of how teams view players when you're looking at people that have been moved on. And you look at how their fan bases, so you get to see other fan bases sad or happy. That tells me a lot about how much they valued ingoing and outgoing guys. Yeah, one hundred percent. You see who the role players are. You were like, oh, I didn't realize that. Like, you know, Grizzlies fans felt that way about Tyus Jones or you know whoever it might be. You know, so it, it can kind of surprise you. Uh, let's go to let's go to what we hate about the off season here. Like I said, let's do love hate love. When I, well, I always want to try to end on a positive note here, but hate. And, and they're starting to pop up again now just because there's not much going on. I cannot stand summer workout videos. Summer workout videos of that dude of, you know, Ben Simmons is one popping around now. Or, you know, whether it's Rudy Gobert shooting threes. And obviously these are two guys that I just don't really enjoy in general. But, you know, it, I mean, there's, there's a bunch of guys that will you'll see videos of the stuff they just don't do in games and it's like okay cool like I, I don't know man and like just the lifetime fitness runs like and, and i think part of it's the aggregation of those clips where it's like you know uh cole anthony's gonna be on a whole new level this year nah dude he's fucking hooping at lifetime fitness that dude should be shitting on everybody like he should he should be killing him i don't care if there's one or two other you know pros and the rest of those guys aren't pros like that dude should be hooping like you know i've, I've played in a couple leagues out here in in texas with guys that used to be d1 players you know like one guy played uh on chris paul's like wake forest team way back in the day another dude played on jimmer's byu team and you know what they were the best dudes in the gym because they played d1 basketball these dudes are current nba players <laughs> like they should be incredible i mean peyton pritchard just dropped 61 points you know in a in a pro-am like those dudes should be absolutely murdering non-pros. So I, I think it's more the aggregation because then that just fills up the timeline of, oh my God, look at this. And it's all like the whole bunch of nothing is what I'm trying to say. So I think I, I, while I agree with yours, the one thing that irks me more is 
lists. Top, <laughs> like, it fucking drives me insane. Give me the top 10 players in the NBA right now, and then seven of them are wings. Have you not been are... enjoying uh, me, me and Greg's top five list? See, that's different because, <laughs> like, but no. <laughs> I'm not a list guy, but it's it's definitely an off-season thing. But it's like, I think that it's so much, I like them when they're broke down to position. Right, mm-hmm. I think there's nuance there. You can have a nuanced conversation with genuine discussion based around the top five point guards in the league. When you ask me the top five, top ten players in the league, overall, I think that things start to get a little bit more difficult in that seven to ten range because the guys on 11 to 15 also have a claim. And role, playing style, situation, all play a, a factor. Whereas if you're just like, like, give me the five best picks. That's fine. We can have that discussion. It's great. I also don't like just in general off season social media because it is very much like here's the same clip of Jason Tatum dunking on LeBron for the millionth year in a row. And all we've done is put a different track over the top of it. Everybody, I know you're going to love this. No, motherfucker, I'm not because I've seen it a million times. It's probably somewhere in my camera reel if I just scroll through my phone. I don't I feel like need the tagline on those is always people forget. It's like, did they forget? I don't yeah, know. Or like, this is my favorite moment from Tatum's career so far. And I'm like, dude, if that's your favorite moment, you are fucking not watching enough Jason Tatum because <laughs> the dude does shit like that all the time. I like he done one donk earlier this year, and I don't remember who it was against, but he just drove the lane and like single handed Jared Allen. It was, it was against the Cavs. And then Funny he turned. Enough, like, Against the Cavs, I think I think it put the game into overtime, or it it put it to double overtime, or something like that. And then in the media room, they're like, "How come? You, like, what made you do that?" And he's like, "Sometimes you just got to remind people that you're capable of doing things like that." Like to me, that was a I'm him moment. But mm-hmm. everyone's like, "No, no, no, he did it on LeBron." So the I fuck mean that is that, that is that is impactful doing it on LeBron as a rookie. But I, yeah, I'm with you. I don't need to see the clip over and over every summer just to say, "Don't forget Jason Tatum." Like, I mean, we know Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum's had a lot a lot of highlights since then. Um, but I, I understand your point, right? It's just, it's it, summer, summer social media is very, very tough. It's, it's, it's a rough landscape. Even, even when things are, are and I'm online online, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm on like more. It's, I've got a window open constantly, Instagram and Twitter because mm-hmm. it's part of the job. I see yeah. this shit. I see these stupid dis- debates is, LeBron's better than Jordan because of this. No, no, no. Jordan's better than LeBron because of this. How about they're mm-hmm. just both top two and we just leave it at that? <laughs> we can call that? it a day and move on. Yeah, I know. I'm with you. Like, I, I think those those type of debates are are so played out that I, I don't really have an interest in any type of coverage like that. So I think we're on the same page when when it comes to that. Let, let's end this on a positive note here. Let's give one more thing that we each love. I'll I'll, I'll go first here because we've kind of touched on it with this episode is perspective. I, I love that the offseason gives us a chance to look back on that series, you know, the Bulls Celtics in 2017. Like we can actually look at that and be like, man, that was that was pretty crazy when you think about, you know, Rondo and D Wade on his last leg, Jimmy Butler before he goes, what that all could have meant. And then you hear Rondo talk about how he was trying to strategize against Brad Stevens. Um I know our guy um uh, S. Barahini was he and I were kind of going back and forth. Uh, he had a clip of, from that Celtics Raptors series in the bubble. I forget w- like why it got brought up at one point, but that series was freaking awesome. I for- like you forget how awesome some of these things are because some in the moment they all happen so quickly, right? And so 
you know, I, I was at game seven for Jason Tatum versus first Philly. And then by the time I'm on a flight back to Austin talking with you guys, you know, we're talking about being down three Oh, four days later against Miami heat. And it's like, it, it's almost like out of sight, out of mind. And now three years from now, I'm going to be like, man, that was freaking unbelievable being at the garden with Jason Tatum dropping 51 points in a game seven. But you know, I, it, because things happen so quickly in the moment, you don't have time to look back and really think about how cool it was or what that meant or what could have been. And I think the offseason allows for that. And so that's one thing that I do enjoy is just that breath to take a step back and think about, you know, I, I enjoy, I mean, we've gone through several what if scenarios in this podcast, but just the way that things work out and what it, you know, how the past influences the present and the future. Um, and so I think that's something that the off season is really cool. That it does allow you to do that in the season. As soon as something cool happens, we're on to the next game, potentially the next night, or we're looking ahead to, you know, whatever the next big matchup is. And, it, it, and you got to really be, you know, in, in the moment, I like that step back that the offseason allows. So I'm on the opposite. So I'm on the exact same page as you, but just the next page over where I'm one of the things I love is the excitement, mm-hmm. right? The what if the, oh, I'm excited to see Chris Stapps play. I'm excited to see Chris Stapps and how he fits with Tatum Brown. Oh, I'm excited because the Celtics have another genuine chance to be a championship team. I'm excited because every year somebody pops as a new star in the league or takes that next step. Who's it going to be? I'm excited because, and then you go through these kind of iterations, right? And like you fucking punt. And then as you say, come opening night the next day, bear with me. <laughs> Talking of uh, international teams playing against NBA teams, the Mavericks will play Real Madrid via a pre- uh, press release from the NBA. There Just we go. Like, we got, we, we got our wish all within one podcast. Speak it into existence. But like, yeah, so for me, it's the, it's the uh, it's the build up. It's the anticipation. You know what I mean. Uh, especially for like when you when you're a big time fan of a single team, and there's so many changes that have been made through the summer. Like you're like, yeah, man, the, that yeah. anticipation is something I love because it's like it's the closest thing or one of the closest things you get to feeling like a kid at Christmas. One hundred percent, and that's what sports is about. Is like keeping that you know childlike enthusiasm, and so you know we want to all we all want to hold on to that as long as we can. So it's you know I'm I'm with you, and I think especially as we get closer to training camp, we get closer to actual NBA basketball. Um, I think it's just going to keep building and building. We're kind of in that time frame now where you know over the next month or so we will start to see that build up. We'll start to have more previews, and it's going to feel. Very real, very quickly here. That we'll be right back in the middle of that NBA season. But Adam, this has been this has been a fun podcast, man. We went basically a full hour on this, just shooting the shit. We went from topic to topic. I really enjoyed it, though, man. I had a I had a great time on this podcast. It's good to be back, baby. What it do, baby? Let's go. Appreciate you all for listening in. Make sure, as always, you are following us on YouTube, on across all of our social medias. Make sure you're following Adam Taylor at Adam Taylor MBA. Follow us everywhere you can. We appreciate the love, and we will catch y'all later. Peace. Bye-bye. Until I hit the floor Every time I get this high It's you I find It don't take much no more Until I'm at your door You cut me to my core, baby What can I 
say You got me on the floor, you know I came to play I know I shouldn't, but you seem to take my pain away And every time I score, Jason Tatum fade away I close my eyes and I'm floating your